Grace Point. It is so good to see you, whether you're in the room here at 30 Lindsley or whether you're joining us online from anywhere around the world, we're thrilled you're here. Can we hear it for our Grace Point youth as they head out to their discussion? Hi. <laughs> oh, it is so good to see you today. So uh, we are in a series, uh, next week we'll be wrapping it up, through the Beatitudes, these blessings, these pronouncements of blessing that Jesus begins this section of his teaching called the Sermon on the Mount with. Uh, we've been exploring what does it mean, and I, I've noticed from some, uh, I've seen some of you online talking about how the word, the, the, blessed, the blessed merchandise is popping up everywhere. Anybody else having this issue now? Wherever you go, people are trying to sell you things that have blessed on it, you're like, I don't think that means what you think it means. Um, and so we've been exploring blessedness, uh, blessedness under this idea that, that the definition we're giving it is withness. To be blessed is a way of saying God is with you, God is on your side, God is for you. And Jesus begins this collection of teaching with this pronouncement of God's presence and God's withness uh, among people who are generally left out of it. Um, Right, right, people who haven't experienced just all the goodness of life, people who haven't just done really well, people who aren't powerful, people who aren't wealthy, people who have really had maybe the opposite experiences where the system has not only not worked for them, but the system has worked against them. And Jesus announces to them, God is with you, God is on your side. And in the kingdom of God or in the commonwealth of God or the family of God, whatever language you want to use for that vision uh, that Jesus had of the world, that in that kingdom, that vision, that family, you will be the ones blessed. You will know that God is with you. And of course, we've talked about a couple things. How are the people in the Beatitudes category, how are they blessed? And it's through those of us who aren't in the category, right? That we, we embody God's withness. We embody God's blessing to them. And, and that last song we just sang, heaven is around us, heaven is all around. It just reminds me again and again and again of what we've come back to in this series, that heaven, the kingdom of God, Jesus' vision for the world isn't somewhere else waiting to come onto this earth. That Jesus' own teaching says the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is waiting to be unleashed into the world. It's waiting to be invited, to be ushered in, to be midwifed in to the world. And so that's the work we're doing. That's the work we're hoping and seeking as a community to engage in, this participating in bringing this new vision, this better vision, this more holistic compassionate, just vision for the world into actual existence. And so today we're going to look at the final beatitude. It's really, sometimes it gets broken up into two, but they're really, really similar, and so we're going to take them together. And it's a blessing for the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus actually began the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom, and he comes back around to it here. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, throughout these entire Beatitudes, there's never been a moment where I've recoiled. It's, been a, it's all been good and I've all, wanted to celebrate all of it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. Yes, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Yes, blessed are the meek. Those who've had essentially the ladder sat on them while other people climb it because theirs is, they will inherit the earth, right? All these beatitudes have been so beautiful, and now we get to this one. Blessed are the persecuted, which how many of you in any moment of your life where you have been like maybe insulted, gossiped about, persecuted in any way, how many of you ever felt, I'm really blessed in this? And if that's not bad enough, Jesus in, in this text actually says, when this happens to you, 
rejoice and be glad. Uh, this is where, for me, when I first read it, Jesus jumps the shark. <laughs> How many of you get that joke, that metaphor, jumping the shark? If you don't, just go to YouTube and search happy days. Jumping, essentially jumping the shark, for those of you who don't get the, the metaphor, jumping the shark is essentially when you've sort of crossed the bridge of believability, right? It's when, oh yeah, this makes sense, we're, we're tracking along, this is great, and now suddenly this is a bridge too far, I can't go there with you. Yeah, Jesus, blessed are the pure in heart, absolutely. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the persecuted. I can even go there. But rejoice and be glad, that, that seems just a little too out there. Is Jesus actually trying to give us a persecution complex? Is Jesus saying what you really need to do, because Christians got it, um, what you really need to do is go out and find ways for people to insult you so that you can feel really good about yourself spiritually. Again, Christians do it, right? So what actually is going on here, and and what does rejoicing and being glad have to do with a blessing for the persecuted? And so I want to do what we usually do, and we're just going to ask a few questions. What does it mean to be persecuted? What is that word actually talking about? Who is Jesus talking to? Who, does, who are the persecuted that Jesus is announcing God's withness, God's blessing, God's foreness with? And then um, what about this business about rejoicing and being glad? Is there any way that we can make sense of what Jesus might be trying to do there? And let's begin with this word persecute. What does it mean to be persecuted? The word in the original Greek in the New Testament is dioko, and it means to move rapidly and decisively toward an object, to harass someone, to cause to run or to pursue Anybody ever been in any of those situations, whether you, you actually felt like somebody was putting you in physical harm, but I bet for many of you and many of us, there, there maybe have been moments where we were being harassed emotionally, or we were being essentially pursued emotionally. How many of you have ever found yourself in a comment section of Facebook just not feeling too blessed? Anybody else been there? Like when somebody says something about you on the internet, or somebody gossips about you, and you find out about it, and... It comes back to you that so-and-so said this about you, and you're like, what? They said what? It just feels like maybe people, that there are people who have, like, chased you in some sort of way. Um, they put you to flight. And that's sort of the word persecute has this idea of being pursued and chased and threatened. Now, what this word doesn't mean, notice, this definition does not include being held accountable for how you treat other people. It doesn't include being held accountable for if you've been, like, maybe a jerk. It doesn't mean that you're being persecuted if you're being held accountable, right? It doesn't. It doesn't mean that you're being persecuted if the world around you is changing and becoming more beautifully diverse. You're not being persecuted if the world becomes more pluralistic. Now, I I realize that for people like me who have grown up like I have in a place I have in the context I have, that for some people, when they see the world changing around them, when suddenly maybe their religion has had dominance for generations in America, uh, when they start, when, when pluralism becomes more um, uh, common, when we realize that actually everybody's not Christian, and, and actually what our country enshrines is not the, the right to be Christian. It's the right to practice religion or not practice religion, right? It's up to you. And so, but when people see the world changing and suddenly their place at the table doesn't have quite the influence it used to because other people have shown up and their place matters and what they have to say matters and their diverse and beautiful religious tradition matters just as much as ours does, that for some people they can see that as, gosh, I'm being persecuted because everything is not catered to me anymore. That's not persecution. That's how the world should work. 
right? And so what was the last thing? Oh, yeah, you're not being persecuted if you've been bigoted and somebody's calling you out on it. You're not being persecuted. You're being a bigot. And you probably should definitely be called out for that. Are you with me? Like, when people are like, you can't say anything in this country anymore. No, you just you can't say that kind of stuff. Because that's terrible and horrible, and nobody should have to listen to you spew that garbage. Like, do you see there's sort of a difference there? But what often people decry as, well, this is, we just live in the middle of cancel culture. Well, stop doing things like that. If you don't want to become canceled, like, become a better human being. Like, these, these are the options on the table. Um, and, and so I think we should acknowledge that, that American Christians, for, just is what it is, we have developed a persecution complex um, where the reality is that American Christians have been at the root of so much persecution of other groups of people. We are not the persecuted. We have far too often been the persecutors. And we have to acknowledge that. That there are large swaths of uh, our, our society and our country who have been persecuted, who have been uh, either just persecuted through neglect or persecuted by actively trying to undermine and remove their rights. And, and we can take that back to um, the civil rights era. We can take that to the LGBTQ plus community. We can take that to any number of places in our country, whether it's other religious traditions that we've tried to silence and push out. We just have to acknowledge that often when we're talking about, when Jesus is blessed or the persecuted, he may not be talking about American Christians. This may not be a blessing for us um, as a religious tradition. And so, rant over. Um, what, who, who are the persecuted then? Um, who are the persecuted? Here's who the persecuted aren't. The persecuted aren't people who um, nobody gets persecuted because they believe in Jesus as a way of getting their optimal afterlife situation, right? I mean, that's sort of the narrative we've been handed is, oh, Christians were always persecuted because they had faith in Jesus, they believed in Jesus for their salvation, and they were going to go to heaven when they died. Nobody would persecute people for pie in the sky. Can we just be honest? Because it doesn't affect the world. It doesn't affect how the world runs. Nobody has ever been persecuted for believing in Jesus to go to heaven when they die. Nobody has ever been persecuted for Jesus because they are a moral, upstanding person, and everybody hates moral, upstanding people. Nobody has ever been persecuted for being a moral, upstanding person and ha- who happens to also be a person who grounds some of that understanding in their understanding and following of Jesus. People don't get persecuted for that. If you want to understand... What Jesus is, who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to people who in the first century were likely, and of course this is uh, written by Matthew, so at a time when Jesus you know, had been gone for 40 years or so, and there was real persecution happening in the community, but the Christian community was being persecuted not for their beliefs about where they would go when they die or because they had certain doctrinal opinions about who Jesus was. They were being persecuted for continuing Jesus' work of advocating for a different world. They were being persecuted because they refused to participate in the empire system that dehumanized people. They refused to participate. They actually said, hey, we're going to form our communities and we're going to take care of each other and we don't need the empire's help. And when you begin pushing back on the system that works for most people, then you're going to begin to be persecuted. I I think Jesus is actually talking to people who are trying to transform the world and they're being met with resistance. 
Because if you try to transform the world, and if you try to talk about how our society works, and if you want to talk about how our economy works, and if you want to start poking at those things, like, you can have your go-to-heaven-when-you-die business, but do not talk about how we, because we know what our true God is. It's capitalism. Right? Don't talk about, you, you, can, you can critique this and that, but don't start talking about how we use power and who has access to it and who doesn't have access to it. Because then you're meddling. And we need a Jesus who will take us to heaven, but not a Jesus who will bring heaven to earth. And I think Jesus is talking to people, and I think it really becomes clear in this sort of what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And if you uh, were with us when we talked about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we talked about that word doesn't really have the same meaning that it always has for me my entire life, which is blessed are those who are morally upright, um, who hunger and thirst for moral moral purity. The word is dikaiosune in Greek, and it actually means justice. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for seeking justice in the world. Blessed are those who look at the world as it is and realize that things aren't how they should be or even how they could be, and they begin to start trying to do something about it. And I don't know about you, but that rings, that rings true to me, that often the people who step up and say, hey, this society, this thing that's working for basically everybody, it actually isn't working for basically everybody, and it's working at the expense of some somebodies, and something needs to be done about it. You can trace this back to abolition movements. You can trace this back to the civil rights movement. You can trace it back to movements for LGBTQ plus equality. You can, t- you can trace it to uh, movements that are seeking climate justice and to combat climate change, which is a very, very growing, dangerous problem we face today. You can even see it in the ways people have been uh, treated about this global pandemic and trying to do the right thing for their neighbors, and somehow that makes you a crazy liberal. Right? Like they're, they're just all of these things that exist in the world that when you actually begin pointing out and saying, actually, this hasn't worked for everybody, and it's working at the expense of some really important somebodies, that people can begin to bristle at that. They begin to push back on that. And Jesus actually brings up the prophets. He says, this is how the prophets were treated. I don't, I don't know if you spent any time reading the Hebrew prophets, but they were an interesting bunch. They, they didn't talk as much as they just did. It's sort of like guerrilla theater, right? Like, I mean, you've really got to commit to the role. I'm pretty sure it was, there was one prophet who walked around naked for like three years, which is like really committing to the role, um, and, and everybody else is uncomfortable with it, right? You have prophets who would go through these big public demonstrations. Even Jesus, who goes into the temple and does this symbolic destruction of the temple to protest what he saw as some corrupt, unjust uh, economic policies. And so this idea that the prophets, when they brought this message, the prophets were not celebrated. They just weren't. Many of the prophets were beaten up. Some of them were killed. Nobody was excited when the prophet came, came to town. It's almost like this beatitude could read like, blessed are those who cause good trouble because they're still causing trouble. And often will be met with trouble. Blessed are those that insist that justice can, in this world, actually flow like waters because they are so often the ones who will be swimming upstream. Blessed are those who give their lives to pursuing shalom and justice in the world because they are going to be persecuted. Right? These blessings all come because there's some sort of challenge or some sort of difficulty. 
And so often those who are pointing out the problems in the world, those who are pointing out the injustices in the world, those who are saying things like, yeah, that we do have these, actually white supremacy is real and it's a problem. Actually, we, we are experiencing some climate, some climate change and it's, it's dangerous. Actually, these things are, are happening in the world, but they're often met with ridicule, harassment. Um, people today, actually, in 2021, who stand up for things like uh, stand against white supremacy and, and against climate change and for LGBTQ rights and all of the, the important things, they still receive death threats. Like, that's not a thing of the past. People are still harassed and maligned and dragged through the mud, even today. It's almost like what Jesus is saying here. The persecutor to those who are embodying this vision for a just, shalom-soaked world, and they are being actively maligned, harassed, and lied about. They're being actively resisted. It's really interesting what happens over time. And I've learned this a couple years ago, this information, and it just, at the time, stunned me, which just proves that I was kind of lost in my own world. But I don't know if you know this, but when Martin Luther King Jr. was active, in May of 63, his favorability rating in our country was 41%. Just three years later in 1966, his favorability rating had dropped to 33%. January 2021, around MLK Day, 90% of Americans had a favorable view of Martin Luther King Jr., probably because they don't understand him. And they, did, they don't understand his message. Because dead people make great heroes. Which is why Jesus actually says at one point, you all celebrate the prophets now, but you, you want to kill them when they're working. I, I think we could even say about Jesus, if you were to have gone back in time, and you were to have asked people in the first century, uh, uh, Romans, a poll about Jesus, like, what's your favorability rating of Jesus? I bet it would have been in the gutter. But if you come in the late 300s after Rome had converted Christianity, right, after Jesus was Romanized, and you would have said, what is your favorability of Jesus? Oh, we give Jesus 100%. I think the same thing's true today. I think if we actually understood the message of Jesus, we would struggle a lot more with it. Right? If people actually understood what he meant by render unto Caesar, they would stop quoting that text. If people understood what he was actually saying in half of his parables, they would be offended too, including me. Can I just be honest? Sometimes I read the Gospels and I'm preparing to teach and I'm like, gosh, I don't like that. That challenges where I'm at in the world. And I think maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. We have this tendency to, over time, to sanitize and water down the legacy of people who challenged us to be better, who challenged us to grow, who pointed out the systemic problems of the world and said, there is a better way to do this if we'll only choose it. And we kill them, and then we make them heroes and build monuments in their name. And I think those are the people Jesus is talking about. Those whose lives end up being sanitized so that they're more palatable to us. The farther we get away from them, the more we transform their message into something that fits within our worldview as opposed to being challenged in our worldview to begin to fit into their message. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at at a really uh, uncomfortable bit of teaching where he talks about the narrow road versus the broad road. How many of you have heard this teaching before? Jesus talks about the narrow path. How many of you have had this teaching used against you as a weapon? Like, you know, if you're not miserable, and if you go to church and have any amount of fun, you're on the broad path. Or if you listen to your doubts and questions and you follow them wherever they lead you, you're on the broad path, and you're in big, 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 big trouble. So let's just listen to what Jesus says, and maybe we'll take a minute to unpack it. 
This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, so it would follow the Beatitudes a couple chapters later. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. I, I really don't think Jesus is saying, make sure you have a rigid, narrow-minded theology. Make sure your faith is rigid and unmoving. This is not an announcement that narrow-mindedness is a virtue, because I think Jesus actually teaches the opposite. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. That the narrow path is the challenging path. It's the path that very few people actually want to take because it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's uncomfortable. For example, being a Christian is not the narrow path. Loving your enemy is the narrow path. Being exclusive is not the narrow path. The narrow path is developing an ever-expansive inclusiveness. And if you want to see the difference, look at the broad church and then look at the narrow path of inclusion that very few people, very too few people have still found. The, the narrow path isn't the status quo. That's the broad path. What everybody assumes, this is just how it is. This works for everybody. And then you have people over on the narrow path going, I don't think that works for everybody. I think it's like actually supported by some things that are toxic and destructive, not only to the people harming, but to the people who are perpetuating it. Maybe we should actually do something about this. Maybe the world could be different. And to people who are on the narrow path, the Jesuses, the Martin Luther King Juniors, when people, the people on the broad path see the narrow path, and they're like, those people are crazy. Those people are fanatics. Why can't they just come on the broad path? Why, why can't they just like accept how the world works and just keep going? Why, why do they have to make trouble? Why do they have to ask those questions? Why do they have to push back on that structure? Why can't they just buy the thing wholesale and just believe what their grandparents believed and their great-grandparents believed and whoever came over on the Mayflower? Just believe what they believed and everything is going to be okay. And people on the narrow path are going, actually... This path seemed narrow, but the more I follow it, the more I realize that it's actually super expansive. It actually leads to some really beautiful life. And to put it in far, further context, I think Jesus is talking here about violence and nonviolence. That if you pursue the broad path of violence for them against Rome, the whole thing is going to be destroyed. If we choose the narrow path of nonviolence, if we choose the narrow path of building communities where we take care of each other, and where we have each other's back, where we make sure everybody has enough food to eat and everybody has enough, uh, you know, has a shelter over there. If we just take care of one another, in so many ways we get outside of the system and we can actually build something more beautiful and amazing than what the system could ever build. I think this is a challenge to, like, no, no, actually the status quo, actually the status quo is killing people. In our country right now, the status quo is killing people, murdering people, harming people. And there's this narrow path that few find. And, and I actually think maybe if you start going around saying, I found the narrow path, maybe that means you haven't. Like if you're announcing to people, hey, welcome to the narrow path, maybe you're still on the broad path. It is broad, awfully broad. Like you could be miles away from everybody else and still be on the broad path. Right? I, I don't think the narrow path is something you go charging into. I think it's something you find yourself living into and you experience it transforming you because it's transforming the world outside of you and through you. Then, yeah, to the broad path, the narrow path seems crazy. Like, what are they doing? They're fanatics. They're chanting and marching. What are they doing? 
Look at how they're living with one another, forgiving, and they're loving their enemies, and they're not punching people in the face even when they want to. Look, what is happening? They're giving up the want to to punch people in the face. What is happening on these narrow path people? Which leads us to the last part where Jesus jumps the shark. Rejoice and be glad. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is he thinking? What is he thinking? Rejoice and be glad. I don't think, and here's the language is also interesting. The word rejoice comes from a word, the word charis in Greek. How many of you have heard of the Eucharist? Right, another word for communion. Charis is the word for grace or gift. So when you're persecuted, when you're maligned, consider it a gift. Can I keep the receipt on that one? Is in, can I re-gift it? Is that a thing I can do? Can I, can I re-gift it? And then be glad, which is the word, word essentially means leap much. Like, like celebrate. What? is Jesus getting at here? I, I don't think Jesus is, is actually romanticizing persecution. I don't think he's saying we should develop a martyr complex or we should go out there you know, trying to, to poke, poke the bear and get people angry at us so that we can be like, now we're really living like Jesus because everybody hates us. Again, see the earlier slide, it may just be because you're not being nice to people. Um, I think what Jesus is actually inviting us to do is to see our persecution, to see suffering through a little bit of a different lens. I think what he's getting at here is that the joy that he's inviting us into isn't in the pain, but it's in the promise. And I realize that's a very preachery line, so I'm going to rephrase that and give it to you differently. Jesus, I think, is saying the joy is not not in how things are, but in the hope and the vision of how things could be. And, and I think back, when, when I hear that, I think back to um, the very last speech that Dr. King ever gave, which if you're not familiar with his story, it's a speech known as The Mountaintop. And he gave it in Memphis, and he gave it on the night before he was murdered, before he was assassinated. And to paraphrase some of that speech, as he's, as he's wrapping up, he's talking about how he doesn't know what's going to happen from here on out. Um, he obviously had known that his life was under threat, and he didn't know how it was going to go for him. And he uses this image. There's this image in the Hebrew Bible of Moses who doesn't get to go into the promised land, but he does get to go up on a mountain and see the promised land. He gets to see that it's there. And he, he gets this sense of knowing that his people will get there. And King uses that image so powerfully. And he says to people, I, I, I'm okay. I, I'm not afraid because I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. And I don't know that I'm going to get to go there with you. But I do know that we as a people, someday, we are going to get to the promised land. And he lived and died with that hopeful vision. Died knowing that in his life he would leave as a young man he would leave behind so much unfinished that the dream he dreamed would not be fulfilled in his lifetime and still hasn't been in ours. But he saw it. And he hoped. And that inspired him and fueled him and brought joy to him. There's this great line in the book of Hebrews where it talks about um, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, the beginner and completer of our faith, uh, he endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him. I don't think I ever understood that line until I dug into this text. This blessed are the persecuted. Rejoice. Be glad. I, I think that the writer of Hebrews, what they're saying is, Jesus did not enjoy the cross, he endured it. 
It wasn't something Jesus was pumped about, nor was it something God needed him to do to somehow make you lovable. But it was a moment where Jesus' vision for the world was met by how the world works, and he suffered and bled and died because he saw a vision of where it could go. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not um, my kids think I'm old. Um, one of them told me the other day, I liked you better when you were young. Um, not sure what that meant. <laughs> she was five, and I was like, well, me too. How about that? Uh, and um, I'll be 40 in a couple months, or in a month, or something. So I've got at least 120 years left, planned to spend it. But I'm also aware that there's a good chance that some of the things I'm working for, some of the things our church works for, some of the things you're working for, we're not going to see in our lifetime. I remember last summer, we took our oldest to his first protest after the murder of George Floyd. And we marched around town, and we ended up at this justice center, and there was uh, sort of a moment of chanting, some singing, there were some speeches, and at the end, we were walking back to, to find our car, and he said, hey, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll be up there leading this protest. I said, oh, man, I, I really hope that since we're here today, that maybe one day you won't need to lead this protest. My, my hope is that maybe one day this, this protest won't be happening anymore, and maybe, maybe you'll be leading another protest. Maybe there'll be something else, something else wrong with the world, something else that needs to be dealt with. I mean, we've got plenty of options right now, so maybe, maybe you'll do one of those. But I hope that you're not leading this protest. I hope that's why we're here right now, so that this protest doesn't have to keep happening. And I hope that's true. I, I, don't, know that it'll, I don't know that it'll happen in my lifetime, but I do hope it happens. Um, I, I don't know that it'll happen in my kids' lifetime, but maybe in, if I have grandkids or my great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids, at some point, I hope that that world that I'm envisioning and hoping for, the world that I'm trying to give my life to help create, the world that Grace Point envisions as a community, the world that you, the vision you share for how the world could be, a place of justice and equity, a place where there's room at the table for all of God's kids, a place where people can actually be humanized and not dehumanized. I long for that world. And I realize that it may not happen in my lifetime. But here's what I'll guarantee you. If, if I quit, and if you quit, then it will not happen in anyone's lifetime. Because Jesus' vision of the kingdom is not that it's out there and we're waiting on God to finally decide, hey, now's a good time. It's within us. It's ready to be born. We are actually invited to the role of midwife. Creation itself is groaning for new creation to enter into history. And that will only happen, that will only happen when we step into our role, when we face the challenges in front of us, knowing that we are working for a promised land we will not enjoy the fruits of. But we do know that somewhere down the line, there will be human beings on this planet who are not fighting the fights we're fighting. Maybe, maybe there will be human beings on the planet who do, do not have to prove why they should get to be here or why their rights are just as important as other people's rights or why they should be able to love who they love. That, that maybe we're headed to a world where maybe, just maybe, we can move on to other fights because this kingdom has begun to dawn on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I think that these Beatitudes build 
and end with blessed are the persecuted. Because if you find yourself in these, uh, if you find yourself poor in spirit, if you find yourself mourning in me, if you find yourself showing up mercifully in the world, then, then you're trying to change the world. You're trying to change how the world works. And Jesus says that when you do that, sometimes people for whom the world is really working well, they don't like it so much. And yet the invitation of Jesus is, when it gets hard, just remember you are not the first and you will not be the last. And that the world that could be born can only be born if you keep showing up. I, I know that there are some of you in this room who, um, even if it's not your full-time job, you, you're an activist in the world. You show up and you have a vision for what the world could be, a world of justice and equity. You, you, you long for a world where white supremacy is named as the evil it is and dealt with. You long for a world where the LGBTQ plus community are no longer being persecuted, whether by people or by justice systems. You long for a world where we can actually pass our kids a planet instead of trying to figure out how to get out of here to ruin another one. Long for a world where we endure a global, global health crisis together and we do things to put our neighbors first, not just our own, our own deal. And you're tired. Does anybody else just have sort of compassion fatigue at times? Anybody else develop that? Anybody else get just like every time you see a news update, you sort of get triggered? Anybody else like, what now? In some days, it just seems like it'd be easier to phone it in, doesn't it? Like, I mean, is, is this Facebook post really going to change the world? If I show up and put myself in this place, if I show up in March, if I show up and protest, if I show up and pass out water, if I, if I show up and love my neighbor, is that really going to make a difference? I'm just so tired. There's a reason why Paul included in Galatians this line, don't get weary in doing good. Because doing good, causing good trouble, it's still trouble, y'all. <laughs> it's still trouble. It's still trouble. And it brings a weight to it. And I know so many of you in this room are tired. You're so tired. And so I just want to say to you that you are seen and your work in the world is vital and it's important and you need to be poured into and you need to be loved and you need to know that this is a safe place for you and that we stand with you and we join with you and that we see the world that you see and we envision the world that you envision and together that is our shared work and that is our mission to keep building that world, to keep creating the vision for that world. One small act of goodness, love, compassion, inclusion, and generosity at a time. And I think to you, Jesus says these words today. The kingdom, the world to come, the future. It may seem so far off, but it's yours. And if this world gets better, it's because you keep showing up in it. And you keep giving your time, your energy, your resources, your creativity, your love to making that world a reality. So we can't quit. We, can't, we can rest, we can take breaks, we can pause, we can tag somebody in, we can pass the baton, but we cannot quit. There's so much work to do. Are you with me? Let's pray. God, this morning we are grateful for our friends in the room who find themselves in this blessing who give themselves to causes of justice and peace 
who long for a world that does not yet exist, who embody a vision, the vision shared by Jesus and Dr. King, so many others throughout human history. And we can use all sorts of language, kingdom, community, world to come. But they know in their very bones today what that persecution feels like because they have been the recipients of it. They showed up and caused good trouble and got trouble in return. So as a community today, may we create space for them to feel energized and recharged, for them to feel seen, for them to know they're loved, for them to know that the world they envision, even though we may not see it, that world is coming and it is worth the work. We are grateful for them today. We offer this in gratitude. Everybody said, Amen.